Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. Let's pick up where we left off. We're in the book of Luke. We're on chapter 8. Let's begin with verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. So Jesus on the move and his twelve disciples with him, with his ministry. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So it's naming off some of the women that followed behind Jesus, and one of them was Mary. Apparently she had uh, demonics she was dealing with. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod, Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for him from their substance. So it's letting us know it, weren't ju it wasn't just the 12 male disciples who followed Jesus. There were also many faithful women among those by name, which the Bible doesn't generally name too many women by name, um, making them special, I think, and or at least setting them apart. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. So Jesus has a large crowd of people and he's teaching them and he uses parables, which, <coughs> excuse me, like I said before, were sort of like nursery rhymes for children to break down a more complicated idea and simplify it. That's what parables are. That's how Jesus uses them. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. So Jesus is saying, if you take in the sense of a farmer, that's what a sower is, sowing seed in the ground. Um, and some of the seeds that he um, sows, not all of them make it. In fact, uh, part of the bunch that he sows ends up getting trampled and devoured by birds. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So another set of seeds that were planted um, didn't even get into the ground. They got onto rock, which they can't take root. They can use rocks for fortification in their root system, but if they fall on top of rocks with no dirt, they won't really have a good chance at growing. Some weeds can. I'm trying to get rid of something like that myself now, but um, generally speaking, fruit-bearing plants would not be able to grow on a rock like that that I know of. Um, yet they'll be enough; they'll grow enough to spring forward, but not like I said, enough to really live and bear fruit unless they're in the ground. And some people, some fell among thorns. The thorns sprang up and choked it. So some, still, some other seeds that are planted do end up growing, but they grow in a place where they're not able to live and be healthy. They're surrounded by thorns. But and it chokes off their own livelihood to the point where they may not make it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He was ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is saying, If you're able to listen, if your understanding is open and able to form right judgment enough to hear what he's saying, then take the time to hear what he's saying, listen, and hear. But it also kind of lets us know not everyone can or will. And his disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? For example, the disciples, even walking there with him, don't always get an understanding of what it is Jesus is actually trying to express through the parables he uses. So they ask him. Thank God they did. That way we could have an idea ourselves in case when we, for the times we wonder. And he says, you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus is letting them know what's happening with them and his use of parables is so that it 
something complicated can be made simplified for them because he's he's also saying because with that crowd that's around him right there what they're actually doing is fulfilling an old testament prophecy that's what he's reflecting back on with the passage you see there in verse 10 um where he's um reflecting back on the book of isaiah that's an old testament prophet considered holy man preacher however you want to think of it spiritual religious leader of the people who was believed they'd be in touch with God. That's what they generally mean by prophets. Not necessarily like the religious people who have um, who manage the religion, but more so the ones who are actually in touch with God. And it's like uh, manifest in different ways that other people can observe it, like miracles and things. That's what they're generally regarded as in the Old Testament and even in the New. Um, so that's what he's reflecting back on Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, that they are actually fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy and how they are with him right now. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So now Jesus is explaining the parable. So just to, to clear things up so we understand. And he's saying in the story, he's giving us the analogy of the seed that are being sown by the farmer or the gardener, whatever the case may be, is um, is uh, the same as in the, in real life, the word of God that gets sown among people. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil, I'm going to skip that, comes. Uh, then the devil takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So Jesus is saying certain set of those people who find faith, even if it's just the tiny seeds worth at some point in their life, some of them aren't going to make it just like the plants didn't. Because just like the plants that got devoured by the birds that didn't land, that didn't land in good ground and got devoured by the birds, the same way some people's path toward having faith will be the same way. They may get an exposure to, at some point, say, being rescued from something dire where they thought it was the end, and then they credit that and they're like, thank God for that. And they know that it's only by a higher hand that they make it uh, at whatever point in their life. And then for whatever reason, um, the devil, as it says here, the uh, birds, as it is in the parable, swoops in and takes away that little bit of faith, or at least that spark of faith that was started there. And But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So people like that are uh, people like, who fall into that category. The people who fall into the category of this part of the parable are people who find faith at some point and they're ecstatic about it. They, um, what are they called? Uh, holy rollers. They may be like that, where they're all fi fired up, um, just thumping their Bible, believing that that's the way to go and think they have all the answers. Um, so they're excited to have the prospect. But he's saying people like that have no root and they only last for a little while because when the temptations uh, pop up in life to uh, give up whatever, whatever it is they believe in or think they believe in, uh, come along, then they fall away from their faith. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So other people find out there is a God and believe it and um, even grow with it, with their knowledge of God and uh, faith that there's something higher, something better, something bigger, something after this life and beyond this life. 
um, that includes this life, but they realize it at some point, but then get distracted and enthralled with the different things that life can bring along and focus on those instead. That would be the cares and generally be the riches, not just surviving, but getting rich and, you know, greed like that and pleasures of life. And so all those things become distractions to the point of that's where you're um, cultivating. That's what you're cultivating, that path and not the path for your soul salvation. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So he's saying only one set of those different seeds that got sown, and seed again being the word of God, only one set of people who, of, of those different sets, who were exposed to the divine or knowledge of a higher power will actually make it to the point where the faith and belief leads to bearing fruit. Uh, we saw the others pass away for one reason or another, fall away, pass away, or devour for one reason or another. No one, when he's lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. So Jesus is saying in a very practical sense, you don't turn on a light and then close the door and walk around in the darkness. You don't turn on the flashlight, then put it in a drawer and then walk around in the darkness. You don't light a candle, put it in the closet, then close the door and walk around in the darkness. The whole point of making light is so that you can see and it, so that others can see as well so that you won't walk around in the darkness stumbling and fall. He's saying so in the same sense. And this parable, that faith, that seed of faith, that spark of faith, that light of belief should do the same thing. It shouldn't be something hidden away and tucked inside of you that no one else could see because uh, it doesn't show up in anything they can see in you. It should instead shine bright so that people will know, as Jesus says, and glorify your Father in heaven. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Excuse me. So Jesus is saying all the things we believe, if we really believe them, they should shine bright and not be a secret. Uh, especially when it comes to faith and people being able to be drawn to the Almighty. And I think that sort of speaks to people who uh, think that just saying it is going to be enough and not actually living it. Just talking the talk and not walking the walk. And he's saying at some point, even that hypocrisy is going to be revealed. It's not going to it's not going to be your deep, dark secret forever. Therefore, take heed how you hear for whoever has to him more will be given. And whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. So Jesus is saying, if you are someone able to open your ears, your understanding and actually hear and listen, truly hear what it is Jesus is saying, then trust and believe more understanding and hearing will be added to you. But uh, if you are someone who's still at the level of just having that seed of faith, that spark of faith, and you're not able to hold on to that because of the cares, the riches, the other things that spring up, the thorns of life, and you let that allow you, let, allow you to fall away, then um, um, it's the part where Jesus says, even what you seem to have will be taken from you. Not just necessarily your um, uh, physical possessions, but your uh, spiritual path 
that um, compass, the direction, will be taken away because it's been is you're being it distracted by something else uh, that's come along, cropped up. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. So even his, some of his family are among those who are um, following Jesus to hear his message and in some cases get close to him. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So that lets us know Jesus loves his family. Uh, we can read that throughout different stories that are in the Bible and not in the Bible. But Jesus also shows us but the example he sets on the cross itself, when he's crucified, one of the last things he does is um, affirm that adoptive relationships are just as significant and real as uh, bloodline relationships. When he um, in Luke twenty three, when he lets us know uh, just before he passes away on the cross, he tells basically commits one of his disciples to his mother and says, "She's your mother," and to his mother he tells her that that disciple is his son, or I mean, it's her son, excuse me. And um, it was either Luke 23, or it could actually be John. It, but it's at the end of one of the Gospels where Jesus does that, letting us know that being a blood relative, and I think in another parable, he lets us know people who assume that because they're of the Abrahamic lineage, that that's going to be enough to get them into heaven. Um, it's the same thing. Don't count on your blood relatives, your blood connections to be what gets you in. That's not going to be enough. And it's not even what actually matters in the big picture because what matters is equally, as Jesus shows, are the people who are not his blood relatives. Because look how he's, uh, the attention he's not giving to his um, mother and brothers. And there's not mention of his father very much beyond like the nativity narratives in the gospels. So it's presumed that He's almost certainly much older than Mary, who he married, Jesus's mother. So it's presumed that he probably passed away at some point. It's just not mentioned in the Bible. Um, so anyway, and it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So the people know that that's his family and that they're trying to get close to him. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. A message to us modern day believers that it's not going to just be enough to say, oh, I know there's a God or oh, I go to church and hear it every Sunday or whatever your holy day is. It's going to be it. what has to be enough that makes us family is to hear the word of God. Yes. But also what he said right after that and do it. You have to know what's right when it comes to Christ's opinion. If you're a Christian that is and do it, not lean on what else you may think, believe, feel, have been taught, read even in the Bible, that doesn't align with what Jesus actually said, again, if you're a Christian. Now, it happened on a certain day when he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said um, that he got into a boat with his disciples, excuse me, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. So they're sailing and Jesus is giving them a destination. But as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm says came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. So uh, it's like tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, natural disasters swoop down quickly on them. And it says just that quickly, even with him, with Jesus right there walking with them, but asleep. Um, that all happened to them just the same. And it was to the point where they were, says they were in peril. So they didn't think they were necessarily going to make it. 
And they came to him and they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, they are perishing, is what they are letting him know. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. So the storm rolled on in with to where they were, even though they had Jesus with them, and um still shook their faith. And Jesus was able to step in, intervene, and calm the situation. And I think there's the, the parable there, and it's not even a spoken parable, but parable, excuse me, but a living example of one is that for Christians, when we're going through life trying to be faithful believers, when storms of life roll in, even if they're natural disasters, that we have to remember that Jesus is still with us. It may seem like he isn't, because like in the case with the disciples, he was with them but asleep uh, in a different area. Similarly, as we walk through our existence as believers, Jesus is still with us, just in another area, and obviously not asleep, but not apparent to us, I think is uh, not visibly apparent to us, I think is what the analogy is from the situation that the disciples are in. And yet, and to remember that even so, Jesus is still with us and um, can handle the situation. And I think not to panic is maybe uh, part of the message also. But he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water and water, and, and they obey him. So the disciples were amazed at how he's able to control even the weather. And it says, who can it, it be? As in, they aren't necessarily 100% certain at this point that Jesus is who the prophecies that they've been heard about is. Um, but they're impressed by the miracles. Then they said, sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. So I think this is the area where the tribe of Gad um, were dispersed to uh, on the other side of the Jordan. I think Jordan River, as it says, if I remember right, is the area they travel to now. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. So someone's so troubled by the things that are the demons that their life is uh are is, they're experiencing in their life that they've stripped off their clothes they're living out in the wild and uh tormented and we know whether it's spiritual demons or spiritual demons in a bottle whatever the case may be whatever it is people struggle with through life sometimes can get to be too much for a lot of people and it can, like i say it can be drinking it can be other addictions, dr drugs, sex, all kinds of different things people can get addicted to and act just like demons and cause them to be driven into a place that they don't recognize anymore or they don't even recognize themselves anymore. Um, when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him and with a loud voice said, so you see what he's saying? He's asking Jesus, what do you see I have to do with him? Um, so and if you've read with me before, you know why I would not recommend you read that yourself out loud anyway. But he's saying, I beg you, do not torment me. So the demon even is asking for mercy and knows that Jesus has the power to grant it. Otherwise, why would he bother even asking? For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And 
He broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. So he's that crazed with his behavior that he's isolated out in the wilderness. And even though he'd been arrested apparently in bonds before, that's basically what that means, he's burst through those also. Um, Jesus asked him saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. So just like you'd have a legion of troops for a war or training, whatever the case may be, that man has a legion of demons that are haunting him, tormenting him, and able to even speak through him. So I think just like how other addictions will do, they'll take over someone's life, demons of addiction, and they'll be, that's what will do the speaking. But in many cases, the alcohol will make them speak the truth when they aren't ordinarily inclined to speak the truth. And other drugs and things will cause them to say all kinds of crazy things because their heart will just be laid, laid bare because of the substances that many times not able to filter. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So uh, the demons know that Jesus has power to manhandle them and cast them out, exercise them out of the man who's being tormented. So they're asking him for leniency. And um, this is one of the few places it mentions an abyss. And that just sort of, uh, to me, at least it invokes thoughts of like a wide open space that sort of separates. And it's similar to what Jesus describes in Luke 16, where he talks about the death of Lazarus and the rich man and how Lazarus ends up on one side um, very much like a paradise, although God is not mentioned there if you read it carefully. And the other one, the rich man ends up in a tormented, flamey side, which is not called hell there. And the devil is not mentioned there if you read it closely. But both of them end up there after they've died with a great gulf fixed between them, and which sounds like an abyss, or maybe if you want to think of it as a dimension that can't be crossed over or passed over or even deep space where you just can't, it's out of reach. Now I heard a mini swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them and he permitted them. So Jesus, Jesus even has leniency for the demonics that he encounters. And rather than have them banished to that uh, astral plane, if you want to think of it that way, instead gives them leave to go into uh, more living flesh, the animal kingdom, the pigs. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. So even the hogs couldn't deal with being tormented with what the man was being tormented, tormented with and took their own lives according to the narrative. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So they went in and told them on a mountain. They spread the word that Jesus was there and had manhandled those demons, casting them out, ex exercising the crazy man who was living out in the wilderness. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man who had, from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So the people who knew him as the crazy man saw He's not that crazy after all now. He's tame. He's acting like he has good sense and he's not all wild anymore. So it was enough to see the, a, of a difference to make them wonder and be terrified at what it was able to do that. They also who had seen it told it, told them by what means he who had been demon possessed was healed. So not only did they witness to 
or test to give a testimonial to the fact that the wild man had the exorcism performed on him and was relieved now. Um, and uh, But they also let him know how it happened as in Jesus being the one to handle the demons. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. So rather than the people be uh, impressed and happy about the fact that someone can be dealing with demons like that and have them relieved um, just like that, with help from Jesus and embracing that. Instead, they let fear um, cripple them and run off their chances, not to say they won't still have opportunities to be saved, but they diminish, they uh, ignore their opportunity to have more encounters with the divine, with Jesus himself, um, out of their fear. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, so this is one instance of someone who um, got help from Jesus wanting to continue along the way with him. Um, but Jesus has a different message for him. He tells him, return to your own house. Tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So Jesus said at that moment, what's more needed is for him to go ahead and spread the word and let other people know that he's um has reason to rejoice in being delivered from his demons rather than just follow rather than continue to follow rather than follow jesus around on the ministry that he has to um to accomplish so it was when jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him so plenty of people still waiting to see jesus even though he's been on the move and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. So this lets us know even the affluent, affluent in society were still doing what they could to get to Jesus. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So Jesus has agreed to go on with the man to help him apparently with the, his ailing daughter who's dying and plenty of people are still right there with him with their energy following him along trying to get close to him now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any so there's a woman uh present at that time who is suffering with a flow of blood issue so it doesn't make it clear whether it's menstrual related Almost certainly it probably is, but it could be other things. Um, she's dealing with that and she's in the crowd. She came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. So it probably was some sort of menstrual flowing, but it could have been any internal or external bleeding. Whatever the case may be, as soon as she did what she needed to do, as in make contact with the source of the power she believed in, that be Jesus, uh, the flow of blood that was tormenting her, her sickness stopped, at least the symptom of it. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with them said, Master, the multitude throng impress you. And you say, who touched me? So it seems like the disciples are being a little sassy, saying, why are you asking who touched you? You see all these people crowded around you. But Jesus said, somebody touched me. 
or I perceive power going out from me. So it lets us know Jesus isn't just talking about a physical touch. He's talking about someone touched him spiritually or um, in a in a supernatural way where she didn't even have to ask him for anything. She didn't even have to say anything to him. And since that instead what she did was would be just like when your uh, laptop battery is dying, she plugged in. So where she knew the energy was without having to ask without asking any questions, just with their faith alone. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she touched him and how she was made was healed immediately. So she didn't hide the truth. She didn't hide her light under under a basket. Instead she went forward with the truth of her situation and decided to testify. And uh, it just makes sense if she'd been relieved of all that bleeding for all that time, why wouldn't she? And he said to her daughter, be a good cheer. Your faith has made you well, go in peace. So Jesus is letting us know in her that what it is that made her well, what brought her some help in the situation she was in, wasn't necessarily anything about the compassion Jesus has, but instead it was about her faith. And Jesus shows us again and again through different examples of the healings and miracles he performs. That sometimes it's faith, sometimes it's his own compassion, sometimes it's persistence. It's different things that um, provoke or inspire a reaction from God Almighty through Jesus, at least in the Gospels, to get him to act on our behalf, I think is the point of the different methods Jesus uses for healings. Just one moment. So again, I think that's Jesus letting us know the different ways and things, means that we can inspire God to act or God will act and intervene in our own lives. Sorry, I had to start the recording. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. So I think there's a hidden message in that happening also. That just like when the disciples ran in the storms, even with Jesus with them, I think what Jesus is showing us here and, and when we do go ahead and see Jesus plug, try to plug into the source just like the woman did with her faith, that sometimes in trying to do that, we'll also encounter people who don't always uh, uh, align with our own belief system. And sometimes they'll even do things like say things that will even intentionally or unintentionally work to shake or shake our faith in the sense that he knows that his daughter's already sick. That's why he went to Jesus for help. And now before Jesus, before he can return to his daughter with Jesus for that help, along the way, he's hearing the message that why even bother? So letting him know, uh, forget your faith. Why even bother? bother? Your daughter's already dead. And um, letting him know the second part is don't trouble the teacher as in don't even go there then. No need to even seek that then. No need to test to see if that'll even work then. What you're looking for is already uh, fate complete. It's already done. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. So just like I was saying, when those things do pop up and try to shape or shake our faith, that we have to remember what it is Jesus actually says to us as Christians, that is, in in the path we choose to take, that then that's what we have to use as a compass, the things Jesus said, or at least should be. 
using. And so what he, Jesus is intervening there, uh, or at least interjecting there, letting him know that one, don't be afraid. So when those messages of doubt or even voices with their two cents of doubt pop up, crop up, uh, don't be afraid, hold on to that faith, only believe. And, um, and she'll be made well, meaning if he's doesn't let his faith get shaken with the fear and still focuses on his belief and faith that Jesus can help him, in his case, he'll still get what it is he's looking for. But there's instructions listed there, at least three, or at least steps. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. So the unwritten message, it's written actually, but the often overlooked message there is, I think, you have to protect your children. If you're going to bother, be bothered with having them, you have to do more than just provide for them uh, or food and feed and shelter them. You have to protect them, or at least you should. And I think what Jesus is showing us here is, is that people, even with the people who they consider to be holy people or righteous people or people they trust associated with whatever religion they believe in, they, that still doesn't mean you should just surrender your children to them, uh, to those people, because you don't know what's in their heart, for one thing. And for two, it'd be so much easier to protect your child by including the mother and the father of the girl, as it, as it is in this case of the child, um, in whatever spiritual guidance you're trying or to provide. And it, including them also will make it less likely those people you, you trust will remain trustworthy rather than take advantage of that trust at the peril of your own child. I think that's the message Jesus is showing us there. Don't just tr to trust your children to religious holy people or people who call themselves holy because they're a part of religion. Now, all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. So Jesus is aware of what humanity believes um, that, uh, remember, because they saw, they already know she died, and that's why they told him why even bother, basically. Um, so and that's enough to move most people to mourning and tears and upset, just like if you've ever gotten that phone call and someone you love has passed away. Um, uh, similar, uh, so similarly, that's where people are at at that point. It's She's just passed away and they're all upset about it. But Jesus responds to it with letting them know that she's not dead, um, but sleeping. And Jesus calls it sleeping in another sense when he refers to people who have passed away and died in a sense that a moment will come, a day will come, a time will come when they'll rise again, almost as if in a, a taking rest sleep, but not at all, but in a slumber sleep of the soul, basically. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. So the people weren't having it. They weren't believing it. They were laughing about it, saying, no, we know she's dead. While you were gone, while he was fetching you, she died. So we know she's dead. So they were laughing at him, like, who's this guy think he is? But he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, rise. So Jesus now paying no attention to the peanut gallery, as they're called, but what they have to say and what the doubts they have to cast in. Instead, he puts that aside, just like I think there's another hidden message there when we're trying to walk by faith with some things and maybe even with most things, especially big things, uh, to keep that between us and the Lord, our Lord Jesus, if you're believers, and not to um, include a bunch of other voices that are going to do nothing but add doubts and counter 
counter the faith you're trying to have. Loose lips sink ships. So you have to be careful who you share what it is you're approaching with because they don't always necessarily mean you any good, even though they smile in your face. They may be against you secretly. Um, so Jesus put all of that out and then took her by the hand and called. So he's he's speaking to her as if she's still alive, even though she the people who are there know she's already dead. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. So it's like the light of her life returned back to her. He's resurrected her is what it's letting us know that she had passed away. Uh, it'd be like if someone flatlines on the operating room table, they're gone, but they may not necessarily be gone, gone. They may, they may be revivable. And we know Jesus did it then without defibrillators, but we know now that with defibrillators and even different medications and uh, electrical things, people can be revived now also. Um, so in the case, so it's not, it is miraculous, but there's different ways to accomplish some of those same things. So that should make our faith that they happen for one, uh, a little easier. Um, then our spirit returned. And so, and one of the things Jesus is saying shows here, it seems is, um, something that science, you know, the health healthcare field knows when people pass away, oftentimes one of the first things that happens is their muscles contract and they have a number two, um, almost as if the body's pushing out whatever bit of uh, life or nutrients are left in there, pushing them, expelling them from the body. So something usually often happens in the Bible when people are resurrected, it didn't happen off that many times. When it does happen is sometimes let's say give them something to eat. So the healthcare field is why I mentioned that. Um, that's a affirmation of some of the, that's some of the science that is said is there and spoken, just not spoken, it, but it's spoken in a different way and are expressed in a different way. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So the parents are excited, happy about their child who had died being resurrected now, and that everyone there can see it, that they lost their little one, sought Jesus and got some help so that the child isn't lost forever, but revived. So that actually ends this reading. I appreciate you checking it out with me and hope it was a blessing for you. I hope you'll join me again. I'm changing the schedule of the readings now um, because we've um, just about gone through all of the Gospels and I've tried to archive, archive them here on uh, this platform since I've gotten the boot from others with uh, nonsensical or either without any reasonings at all, but still got in the boot from for whatever reason. So I'm archiving them here on this platform and also on my site. You can see them there if you um, like, if you want to, and if you're, if you're an adult and want to know more about me, you can check out my website. It's hungtgirl.com and explore. The links on the left are basically um, about me, the body, mind, spirit, and soul and where I stand on different things and what's influenced me to believe the way I believe. And so what we do here on The Naked Truth is focus on the spirit and the soul. For me, that boils down to Christianity. And like I said earlier, that's not just trying to reconcile everything in the Bible that you can live by it. You can't because they contradict themselves. But instead it means to me as a Christian, taking what Jesus Christ himself uh, has to say and let that be our guide. 
So that's what we focus on. And it turns out that Jesus only Jesus's words are in only six of the 60 plus books of the Bible. So if you know anything about a tithe being a tenth, then that six of the 60 plus is about a tithe. So maybe that's the tithe for us to focus on as um, as Christians to get an idea, a clear idea of what it is God would actually have us know directly from Jesus's mouth himself. So um, stay safe. Thanks again. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wear your mask and wash your hands. God bless you. See you next time. Oh, and so that was the other thing. If you do see the reading schedule, I haven't updated it yet. But now we're going to do our Monday and Wednesday readings. Um, we're going to flip them now, I believe, where we're going to do uh, Monday and Wednesday readings focusing on the Old Testament books So since there's so many more of them. And now, since we've almost archived all of the Gospels, saving our Saturday night readings, these readings um, for these 12, 15 a.m. Saturday night, early Sunday morning readings for the Gospels instead so that the that makes more sense in the balance of things. So again, stay safe. Thanks again. God bless you. Peace.